What comes to mind? What comes to mind to you when you hear the word sovereign? What are the ideas that sort of flood you or the images that you see when you hear this word sovereign? For some, the idea of sovereign is that of a monarch, a king or a queen that rule over a kingdom. To others, the thoughts of some sort of supreme authority that might govern or has a governance over a particular situation or a particular place. The closest thing we have come to in Australia living under a sovereign rule, I guess you could say, would have been the couple of years we were locked down under the, uh, the, the COVID restriction rules. And there were some very strict restrictions placed upon us. Some liked it, some didn't like it, but we yielded to that sovereign authority that the government displayed nonetheless. In the dictionary, the word sovereign defined is belonging to or characteristic of a sovereign or sovereign authority like a royal. Having supreme rank, power, or authority, supreme, preeminent, indisputable, greatest in degree, utmost or extreme, being above all others in character, importance, or excellence. In my simplistic terms, when I read all of those words, sovereign is the position that one holds and where their will is exercised, their decisions reign over all, and their plans are executed despite opposition. Ultimately, the sovereign authority, their say, is final. Thus, when you have a sovereign that sees a bigger picture, when you have a sovereign that identifies with those in need, a sovereign that reaches out to bring people into what they possess, then that sovereign is in turn loved, cherished, and willingly submitted to. Charles Spurgeon said this, a great quote, there is no attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, they believe that sovereignty hath ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. On the other side of having a sovereign that governs in such a loving, caring, protective manner, on the other side, we have a sovereign ruler that could be cruel or self-centered, a sovereign that is selfish, in other words, a tyrant. And the result of that type of sovereign authority sees others as tools to be used, resources to exploit and subjects to control, rather than being a benefit for all. That type of sovereign focuses only on their own advantage and on their own well-being. So the question comes up, or well, actually no, a logical conclusion can be made. The person who holds 
a position of sovereign authority. In other words, who holds that authority makes the biggest difference for the ones they rule over. Makes the biggest difference for the subjects that are under that sovereign rule. And it's something that I want us to look at today as we look at, as it says at the start there, knowing the Lord's sovereignty. We looked at his authority last week. We looked at his timetable the week before, but it's this aspect of sovereignty, I think, many of us as God's children fail to fully comprehend, fail to fully understand or appreciate. So if you bow your heads, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your divine authority. Thank you for your divine plan. And thank you for your divine sovereignty. Thank you that you reign over all things and that you, by your grace, have called us to yourself. And so we ask now as your people that you will stir our hearts with a thirst to know you, that you will engage our minds with a desire to know you you more. And Father, you'll give us a clarity of vision to see the greatness of your sovereignty and how that affects every choice we make in life. Please help us now in Jesus' name. Now, sovereignty carries with it this responsibility of being in charge. And so when you read some of the examples, like, I, I have to be honest here, trying to grasp the greatness of God's sovereignty and, and of his control and, and of his direction and, and guidance in every single individual's life, yours, mine, this nation, globally, that is just, bam, you, like, it's really hard. It's really hard to grasp, and, and, and I'm, what I'm sharing today, it'll probably take about 30, 40, maybe 55 minutes, but the thing is this, it's scratching the surface. This is something that you need to discover and accept for yourselves, and, and I think one of the greatest ways to learn or see God's sovereign hand at work is to look in the scriptures and see from his perspective how he deals with various people. So you'll notice that as we look at some examples within scripture, their willing acceptance by faith of their lot in life, their acceptance of their lot in life, whether good or ill, whether good or or bad, it was entrusted to the hands of a sovereign God. I'm going to say this again. You'll notice that with their acceptance by faith, with their lot in life, for good or ill, was in the hands of their sovereign God. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 15. And I chose some different passages and different characters within Scripture that sort of emphasize this. And this first example is Abram. If you know the story of Abram in Genesis chapter 12, he is called out of the land of Ur. And God just tells him, get up and go to this place. He doesn't know where exactly, just get up and move. Get up and move. And so he gets up and moves. And in Genesis 15, verses 1 and 2, we read this. He cries out to a sovereign Lord and is willing to accept Whatever his God says, Genesis 15, 1 and 2. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. 
But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? If you understand, both Abraham and Sarah are childless at this moment. And so he says, Lord, who is in charge? You who know my situation. You, the one who is the boss. This is my circumstance. What do I do? What happens? In that same chapter, jot down to verses 7 and 8. He also said to him, once again, God speaking to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Two times, in two different situations, in two different circumstances, Abram can only address God as the one being in charge. That's it. One, I'm childless, Lord. I don't understand. I I don't know what's going on. Right after God says to him, I'm going to be your reward. I'm going to be your portion. Then he says, but Lord, how do I know this land is going to be mine? Sovereign Lord, what's going on? Abraham, so Abram, who faithfully followed the Lord's call without knowing completely where he would end up, but instead trusted and stepped out anyway in Genesis 12, who came to know the Lord's providence and blessing in Genesis 13 and 14, he had no choice but to accept and commit his childlessness and his inheritance to his sovereign maker. For Abram, who was confronted with the unknown, had no other choice but to accept the Lord's sovereign direction in this place. We don't do that. I don't do that. When I am confronted with something that I don't know, when I'm confronted with something that threatens my understanding about a circumstance, then instead of saying, Sovereign Lord, I don't understand, or Sovereign Lord, I don't quite get it, I spend all my time trying to fix it myself. That I don't sit down and trust in the Lord with all my heart. Actually, I'm the one that leans to my own understanding. And so I'm sitting there trying to wrestle with how I can deal with this when confronted with the unknown. And a majority of us are like this as well. Abram, even though he approaches God and gives him these questions, is preceded by this title, Sovereign Lord. You are in charge. You are the boss. You hold supreme rank. This is my concern, but you do what you do, and I'll accept it. That's what Abram represents here when confronted with the unknown. Look at Genesis chapter 50. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 50. It's one of the greatest. I could have done a whole sermon, and I have done whole sermons on this passage, looking at the life of Joseph. This is the ultimate expression of God's sovereignty in the life of Joseph. One of the greatest examples of divine sovereignty manifest here, who in the midst of great evil, committed against him, got to see the sovereign hand of God at work in his life. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when his father Jacob dies, his father Israel dies, 
his brothers start getting scared. If you remember the story, his brothers sold him into slavery. They were jealous. They got, how many people know how much Joseph was sold for? Do you remember? Not as much as Jesus, but it was pieces of silver. 20. 20 pieces of silver that he was sold for by his brothers, the ones who should have his back, the ones who should care for him. Now, I know families don't all get along, but they wanted to kill him. That was how bad it got in that situation. And so when his brothers come back to him and they say, are you going to kill us? In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, we have this lovely verse as Joseph looks in hindsight. Everything that he saw, he saw the hand, the sovereign hand, of God in his life. You intended to harm me, Joseph says, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In hindsight, the forgetfulness of the butler who said he would tell Pharaoh that Joseph could interpret dreams, the fact that he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife in that temp- sorry, not and the temptation of Potiphar's and the temptation of Potiphar's wife that resulted in him being put in prison, the betrayal from his family that sold him into slavery in the first place. Imagine in each of those moments when sitting in the well, him crying out, Lord, I don't get it, what's going on? When he's in prison, sitting there for something that he didn't do, when he, as a man of integrity, ran away from Potiphar's wife, thinking, Lord, I'm trying to honor what you want to do with my life, when he gets forgotten by the butler, I, Lord, he was right there, a direct heir to you. Every single one of those moments was within God's plan for his life. Every single one. We only ever look at the good that happens in our life and think God has blessed me. Did you know that in the bad that might be happening, God could be blessing you too? Why? Because God sees a bigger picture than what we see. Now, I'm not, I'm not dismissing the difficulties that you're going through. I'm not, I'm not disregarding the hardship or the struggles that you're going through. Please don't misunderstand me. But I do know that sometimes the hardship that we go through, God is using for our benefit, for our blessing, for our growth, for our development, for our reliance on Him, for our ability to see His sovereign hand in our lives. There's a guy by the name of David F. Wells who said this. Evil, by its very nature, opposes the purposes of God, but God in his sovereignty can make even this evil serve his purposes. I'll read that again because that's a pretty awesome quote. Evil by its very nature opposes the purposes of God, but God in his sovereignty, God in his rule, God in his preeminence, God in his rank can make even this evil serve his purposes. So we have God working his sovereign hand in the unknown. We have God working his sovereign hand even in the midst of evil and betrayal. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, what's really cool about this is that David asks and says, God, I want to build you a house. 
I want to build you a house after all of these things and the journey that David had gone on and God had taken him through and says, God, I want to make you a house. And God says to Nathan, tell David, no. There's too much blood on your hands. No, I don't want you to build me a house. I appreciate the offer, but no. But your children, they'll build me a house. Your children, I will use. So we read in 2 Samuel 7, 18 and 19. Look at David's attitude when he gets rejected. Now, guys know what it's like to be rejected. Just, I think to Joe, teenage Joe self, and just think, huge rejection. And it's not nice, because when you get rejected, not only, you first, what's the first thing? You're just like, oh, oh okay. You walk away, and when you walk away, after being sad, having your heart broken, not that it happened a lot, it, it didn't, okay, anyway, uh, but walking away, and then, then what happens, you get angry, and you start firing yourself up, you start, okay, that's what happens, okay, okay, I'm not, I'm not speaking from experience, uh, Nick told me, okay, anyway, um, so anyway, in 2 Samuel, look at David's attitude, 2 Samuel 7, 18 and 19, right after he's been told, no. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Look at this attitude of gratitude. Look at this appreciation. Look at this humility. God says no, and he's like, Wow, you've, well, look, look at, you've brought me from looking after sheep in the the middle of the wilderness to a throne, to a kingdom being established. Uh, yes, I was chased by my father-in-law, and, 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 and yeah, I took on a giant. Yes, yes, I, I got to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Yes, I, I got to do this, that, and the other. And he looks back and goes, who, who am I? God could have just said, no, that's it. And I think he would have been happy with that. I think he would have been content with that. Instead, he's, who am I, and what is my family that you have brought me this far, and as, and as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human? This is for me? Wow! Even in this rejection, the humility in being told no, the gratitude that his family would continue this legacy, the appreciation that he would be considered after all that he had been blessed with anyway. Thus, in David's rejection by God, he essentially responds, David essentially responds in this way, Sovereign Lord, you're in charge. Do as you please. Do as you please. Why? Because what he does is always right. He is a righteous God. Last example, Simeon. Simeon's words of praise in Luke chapter 2, who, after patiently waiting for the salvation of Israel to arrive, rested in God's faithfulness to keep his sovereign word. What does he say? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared from the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon 
testifies that the Lord who is sovereign is the Lord who keeps his promises, is the Lord who keeps his word. And he waited as he waited. I mean, Simeon is an old man. He would have seen the Romans come in and take over Jerusalem. He would have seen like the, the, the way the temple had transformed, going from a place of prayer to a place of merchandise. He would have seen just the hardship and, and the, the rise of rebellions within the Jewish community, the zealots that sit there and try to fight against this authority that was ruling over them now. He would have seen this huge change of society. And the hope that he had through all of this change was the inerrant word of God that promised him, you'll see my salvation. You'll see him, Simeon, before you will pass. And it's still, see, even all of that falling apart of what was changing around him, what was really interesting is this. It still fell directly in line with God's ultimate plan of redemption. Jesus was still born. Not, that sounded bad, still born. <laughs> Jesus was still birthed in a major. That still birth doesn't work either. Okay, anyway. You know what I mean? He still came. He was still there. He still fulfilled those promises. Despite all the attacks of the enemy, despite all the distractions that the enemy sought to distract or, or to take away from what God was trying to do with mankind, from the unknown with Abram, to betrayal with Joseph, to rejection from David, to fulfillment by Simeon, each of these examples demonstrate an acceptance of God's sovereign plan being brought about, God's sovereign will being fulfilled, and God's sovereign ways being made evident. Because in each of these examples here of unknown, betrayal, rejection, fulfillment, and all of these things, God always has a bigger picture in mind. I've shared this in the past, maybe several times. We only ever see this much. We only ever see this much. We, we're like those horses, like the, the Clydesdales that have the, 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 the eye coverings either side so they're not distracted. So they have the, the tunnel vision. That's all we see when God is working far beyond that. His sovereign hand, his, the bigger picture is at work throughout the whole thing. That's what we have to understand. Okay? Because like the thing that's, when I look at these four guys, those four guys, and, and all the other examples within Scripture. How did they reach their point in their relationships with the Lord to not only recognize His sovereign hand, but also willingly accept and submit to it too? And then how do we position ourselves in a way that we are brought to the same point in our lives with Him? I came up with like five or six different points. I want to give you one. Because these other five that come from it stem from this one point. If you don't remember anything else that I've shared, this is the one thing that I want you to hold on to. The one thing that I want you to, to nurture. And this is it here in Psalm 135, verse 5 and 6. And it's this. It is the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Now, before you sit there and think, yeah, well, I know. That's, that's so Sunday school. That's, that's, so, that's so cliche. Well, not really. Because the knowledge of someone, the true knowledge of someone, changes who you are. The true knowledge of someone 
gives you a different insight into how you see things. All you people who are married and have been married for longer than 10 years, this is what you're discovering. I celebrate 30 years of marriage this year, and I can confidently say in the last 10 years, I finally discovered the true knowledge of my wife. 20 years of me wasting away and doing silly things and bad choices. Not, I mean, look, my, those first 20 years were amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed for, for the woman God has blessed me with in my wife. And then after a while, God sort of showed me how self-centered I am, not only as a man, but as a husband and as a father, even as a pastor, even as a Christian, as a Bible study, even how God has burdened my heart. And as I've discovered more about who God is, more about who my wife is, the change that's come about has been amazing. Now, I'm an amazing man. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay, but uh, <laughs> i just see if you're listening. Eh? Thank you very much. Because right when I said that, everybody's like, yeah, I don't think so, eh? I don't think so. All right? But anyway, Psalm 135, verses 5 and 6, which is a great verse. Okay, he says, I know that the Lord is great. I know that the Lord is great. That our Lord is greater than all gods. Verse 6, great verse. I want this to be a memory verse for us. The Lord does whatever whatever pleases him. In the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all the depths. You know what that is? That is sovereignty. That is sovereignty. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. You know why that's such a great verse? When it sits there and says, the Lord does whatever pleases him? Because you know what pleases him? It pleases him to love on you. Zephaniah 3.17, it says he, he rejoices over you with singing. If the Lord loves you, then what pleases him is to make sure that you know true joy, that you know true contentment, that you know true peace, that you know true life. And you know how you know that? You know that by knowing him. That's why. He does what pleases him so that you can see how much he loves you and that you would love him in return. I still remember when my my son, when Nathaniel was born, I still remember all the effort we went through, all the effort we went through. We, We got his room, we got his cot, we got the mobile, we got all the clothes, we got the blankets, we got, oh, wow. And then I remember because I was so awkward holding him. I was holding him. I was just like, when I felt like I was going to break him, it's really funny how the first child was like, oh, I'm going to break you. Second child was like, drop. Okay, so, uh, yeah, you sort of, uh, sorry, I'm not a bad parent, okay, so. <laughs> but you, you, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You, 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 but the reason why we got everything ready for him is because we're excited and we're like, we want to love on him and we want to demonstrate that love by preparing this for him. When you think about it, it's exactly what God did for Adam and Eve. He got everything ready first. And then for his love for Adam and for Eve, he said, he, he created Adam and said, Here, this is for you. For you to experience the love that I want you to have. To experience the joy of knowing me as your father. And that's what, and, and so when that was lost, what did he do? He went to the greatest of lengths to reestablish that because of his love for you. That's why, so from, from the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, 
right up to today. God had in his mind's eye a means by which he could win you back to himself. His sovereign plan of redemption culminated in the person of Jesus Christ, who was born, who lived and died for you so that you could come to know that love. That sovereign hand through Israel, through all of the saints of old, that sovereign hand that brought it all about so that when Jesus was born, lived, died, and rise again so that we could have it, so that we could know him, so that we could have that friendship restored. And then that love continues because he's still working his sovereign hand even now for the ultimate redemption where we get to go be with him for all eternity. And and everything that he's given, when you see that sunrise, that's God blessing you saying, this is how much I love you. Look at the sun that I've given. When there's a beautiful, you know when you've got those days when there's a beautiful rain and you just enjoy standing in the rain and the Lord's saying, this is for you because I love you. I want you to experience that love. When you have your friends around you who smile and you see the smile of God portrayed in that, that's God showing how much he loves you. The blessing of your parents or of your friends or your family, of your jobs, this is God demonstrating his love. This is his sovereign hand because of his love for you. This is why he does what pleases him because what pleases him is loving on you and having you love on him in return. Now, we have to understand like, Now, knowing him, knowing him gives us the confidence to trust in him as sovereign. Why? Because of this. Because every choice that he makes as a sovereign God who does what pleases him is because he is good. And he wants us to partake of that goodness. It's because he is love. He doesn't just love. He is not loving. He is love. And he wants us to experience what genuine love is in himself. Because he is holy. He is set apart. And he wants us to experience what that is as well. Because honestly, being exclusive, you like being exclusive. You like having that one where you walk in and people are like, oh, here you go, Mr. Melvin. Mr. Melvin, yep, sir, this is for you. It's exclusive entry. Romans chapter 5 says that we have access. That's where we get to go. If you work in jobs, I think, Kenny, you work at Optus, right? Do you work at Optus? Combank. Well, that's worse, but okay. (laughs) But here's what's really cool. Here's what's really cool. You know, because he works at Combank, like, I cannot go into the places that Kenny can go to. Why? Because I'm not qualified to get into Combank. And if I do, well, you know, people probably think, where's your mask, where's your gun, or whatever. whatever. But there's Kenny. Kenny can get access to places that I can't. We get access this is, this is us being exclusive. We're exclusively God in Jesus Christ. That's what we are. We are exclusive. We can do so because he is just. He is a just, fair God. It's because he is righteous. I love what Job 37, 27 says. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power in his justice and great righteousness. He does not oppress. Because he is righteous, because he is loving, because he is good, his choices for us are never for our oppression, but for our liberation. It's never for our constraint, but for our freedom. 
That's why he does what he pleases. There is, there is no greater expression of his sovereignty and, and demonstration of his goodness and of his love and of his justice and of his righteousness and of his mercy and of his grace than when he sent his son to die for us. When he sent his son to pay for our sin, that from before the foundation of the world, God had set in place by his sovereign hand the means of redemption for our sorry, sinful, selfish selves, and that we are made right with him through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The sovereign hand at work in the life of Christ, who in his bad, in his brutal death, we get his good in receiving eternal life through faith in him. That's why John 3 and 16 is such a beautiful verse. That for God so loved the world that he sent. For God so loved me. For God so loved you. That he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is what the sovereignty of God means for each of us to transform us, to change us, and for us to trust him. And here's the thing. Here's the first foundational step for us to know who God is, to know who he is, who he is and, and, and the best avenue for which we can develop our knowledge of him. And that's for studying or knowing or coming to know not only who God is, but the way he is. In Exodus 33, Verses 12 and 13. Moses is talking with the Lord. In verse 11, and we did this on our study on Thursday night. It was a really good study. And we had uh, Jules and, and, and Uncle Mike and, and, and we had Chris. And we're having this discussion. And we looked at Exodus 33:11, And it basically says how when Moses enters into the tent, God would come and meet with him and talk with him face to face as a man does a friend. And it was in that knowledge, in that intimacy we read this. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. And he says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. This is a really significant statement. He doesn't just say, I want to know you. He says, teach me your ways so I know you. He equates knowing God's ways with knowing God. Why? Because seeing the way God acts, seeing the way God conducts himself, seeing the way that God moves gives you an insight into who God is. When Noah was building the ark, how long did, how long did Noah take to build the ark? Who remembers? Anyone? Thank you very much, Chris. 120 years. 120 years Moses took to build the ark. You know what that shows me about God? His patience, his long suffering, his ability to sit down and let, give people a chance, a chance to repent and come to know. 120 years God held off the rain. So mercifully, when you look at what happened with Noah, and not Noah, with Jonah, and when Jonah sits down and, and God holds back his judgment from, from Nineveh, when you look and how God so graciously deals with, and so what? Romans chapter 5, 8, what does it say? That God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Knowing God's ways shows us what God is like. And so all throughout the scriptures, I see the Lord dealing with people as individuals and as nations. And while each of them had specific issues, it never drew away from God's sovereign and ultimate plan. And God does so the same with us now. And that's why I am excited that I, as a child of the Lord, have, a pro, have, have the privilege to know even just a little of the sovereignty of God in my life as I get to know His ways, as I get to know Him, and then as I willingly accept and submit to those, and then watch God do amazing things in the process. This is what the Lord's sovereignty means. That he is in charge of each circumstance. He's in charge of each situation. And that even if we don't fully understand, we are called to trust and rely on him. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants what's best for you. Because he cares. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever let go of that. Jerry Bridges says this. Probably. God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. God is perfect in love. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. This is our sovereign God. This is our Lord, and this is the God who invites us to know. I pray you'll respond obediently. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. There's just so much we don't understand, so much we don't know. But we thank you that your sovereign hand rules over all. I pray that you will help us to recognize your hand at work to see you move and respond accordingly. Father, I pray that you will help us to become people who are active in relying and trusting in you, that are active in accepting things, even things we don't understand, knowing that you have a bigger picture in mind. Please grant us by your Spirit the strength, the courage, and the ability to submit to you. I pray for those of us who are going through hard times, Lord. I pray for those of us that are having struggles and and, and where, like Joseph, things might just be so overwhelming and we don't fully see what is going on. I pray for those people now that you will comfort them, that you will meet them where they're at, that you will encourage their hearts, that you will reveal yourself to them in such a mighty way where they will find the comfort of God in your sovereignty and your sovereignty alone. I pray that you will bless these people, Lord. And, and if we are able in some way, if we can help them out, we will. So, Father, we commit all of ourselves to you now and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him we have life. Thank you in him we have peace. Thank you in him we have hope. We ask for you to dismiss us now. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said.